Thank you for listening to our Truth in Life podcast. This season, we will survey the Bible's unfolding story of redemption. From Genesis to Revelation, every book points to Christ and edifies His church. For more information on our church, visit ChristTheWord.com. It's during the second year of Darius the king. Remember, the temple was destroyed. Jerusalem fell 70 years prior uh, by Nebuchadnezzar's armies. Cyrus, Persian emperor, puts out a decree, allows the Jews to return. 50,000 have returned. And for 18 years, they start building the temple, but they don't get very far. They're discouraged in the work. 18 years goes by. God sends Haggai and then Zechariah as well in, in order to call on the people to begin and put priority on the building and the temple and the worship of God and not to focus on their homes. That's what we looked at in Haggai last week. Zechariah, a very similar message to Haggai. Uh, it's a longer book, about 14 chapters. 14 chapters, I said about. Uh, what we know about Zechariah, just a little bit about the author, son of Berechiah, son of Ido, right? His father and his grandfather. Ido means the appointed time, which was his grandfather. Berechiah, his father, Jehovah blesses. And Zechariah means Jehovah remembers. And so even the names and how we're introduced to the author speaks to the message that is going to come by the prophet Zechariah. Uh, he was a priest as, a pro- as well as a prophet. We learn that in Nehemiah 12. And like Haggai, was probably born in Babylon. So I want to go through the content of the book. There's a number of, of prophecies, of visions that, that Zechariah experiences. And I've got it on your outline. There are five parts that will break the book down and look at it. So part one, first six verses of the book. It's a call to return to God. It's a call to return to God like the call of Haggai in rebuilding of the temple, but in the worship of God. Verse 3 says, Therefore say to them, Thus says the Lord of hosts, Return to me, declares the Lord of hosts, that I may return to you, says the Lord of hosts. Again, it begins with a beautiful promise of hope and love and God's desire to see the nation of Israel restored. Return to me, that I might return to you. This is how the book begins. It's a message of hope all throughout, and we'll see that through the book. So that's first, this message of hope, of a call for the nation of Israel to return to God, to return to the temple, to build it, to continue building it, to serve God. Part two, there's a series of eight visions that comprise a lot of the book, um, basically from verse 7 of chapter 1 until chapter 6, verse 8. Zechariah receives eight visions all in one night, and they speak to different messianic prophecies that will come, messages about the nation of Israel, both in the first and the second coming of Christ. The first one, the angel, and this is found in the first chapter, the angel, we're told, is traveling throughout the world observing the events of the earth. It says in verse 11, we have patrolled the earth, and behold, all the earth is peaceful and quiet. And so the angel's going out, All the nations outside of Israel, Jerusalem, are peaceful and quiet, and yet Jerusalem and Judah are still suffering under God's judgment because of how they've abandoned God. And the prophecy, the vision is saying, God turns and says, a day is coming when this will be reversed. 
when Israel will be at peace and rest and the nations will be distraught. The nations will be suffering under God's judgment. The second of the visions, there's four horns. They represent the four empires, alluding to Daniel's vision, Babylon, Persia, Greece, and Rome. The third one, just to quickly move through these, it's a man measuring a wall, the walls of Jerusalem. And basically, the, the emphasis of this vision is that the walls will not contain the number of people that God will bring back and restore to the nation of Israel. The walls can't contain it, and so they're measuring and saying, We're, we don't have room to fill all the ways that God's goodness will fill this, the walls of Jerusalem again. The fourth one, it's, it's of jo, Joshua, the high priest. Remember, Joshua was the high priest. Zerubbabel was the, the governor who came back with the people of Israel. Joshua, the high priest, we have Satan accusing Joshua. And he's standing with God. The attacks of Satan come to no avail. And Joshua is confirmed in his office in this vision. And there's this image of removal of his filthy garments representing sin. Removal of Joshua's filthy garments and putting on the rich robes. The rich robes, the, the righteousness of God. There's a golden lampstand in the fifth of these visions and two olive trees speaking of the church of Jesus Christ. The people and the believers of God. In the sixth vision, on this night, there's a flying scroll representing the judgments of God. The seventh, there's a woman in a basket with a lid restraining her. Again, speaking to the judgments of God, speaking to those who don't repent and turn to the Lord. And finally, four chariots, red, white, black horses. They're going throughout the earth, bringing about, giving God's judgments to the nation, speaking to the final destruction that God will have on the enemies. So that's very quickly the visions of Zechariah, if you're still with me. <laughs> I know we have to move quick. Part three of the book, uh, go, so continuing in chapter six, starting in verse nine through 15, is uh, a command that Zechariah receives to, to crown Joshua uh, as king. Now, according to the law of God, a priest could not be a king. Okay, these were separate roles that a priest shouldn't have, nor should a king have as a priest. And so it's interesting when God commands Zechariah to do this, and what we have is a, a messianic promise of Christ. Verse 13 of chapter 6 says, He shall bear the glory and shall sit and rule on his throne, so he shall be a priest on his throne. And so Zechariah is speaking to the people, speaking to Joshua. But this is talking about Christ. Christ is the king. He is the priest as well. Part four, questions of observing additional fast come up. This is going to begin in chapter 7, going through chapter 8 to verse 23. So this is two years after... Um, the prior message of Zechariah. So two years has lapsed since um, Joshua being crowned, that message coming. So two years of the temple rebuild have been going on. So it's about halfway completed to how long it took them to rebuild this. And the questions arise, we're told, from the Jews living in Babylon about fast. During the exile, there were a number of what we'd say are extra fasts that the Jewish people observed in remembrance of God 
judging them, God taking them out of Israel, God uh, <laughs> destroying the people. It was a, they were fast of humility, of crying out to God, and they, the Jews were to do these extra fast in the land of Babylon, and they did so. And so in this portion of Zechariah, the Jews are asking about these extra fasts, asking about their remembering of captivity, and the response from God, the response from Zechariah is, essentially, why are you observing these fasts? The time to return is now, not the time to dwell on being taken out into captivity. And the message here is one of God not delighting in your fast, but he wants your obedience. He wants you to return to Jerusalem, to the temple, to the worship of God, and not to live fasting, not to live for this outward appearance, but to have a heart and a mind that's changed, and the outward appearances being meaningless. But the important thing is the engagement and the soft heart. And so that's the message of starting in chapter 7, moving through chapter 8. And finally, part 5 of Zechariah speaks to the future of the kingdoms of the earth and the future of the kingdoms of God, the kingdom of God, starting in, in, in chapter 9 all the way to the end of chapter 14. It speaks often here about the burden of the word of the Lord, the burden of the word of the Lord, alluding to the judgment of God, God's word coming to pass and it being judgment on the nations. There's, in this portion, there's a contrasting between the heathen world and Israel and speaking to how Zion will be delivered and will triumph. And so that's very quickly walking through the outline of Zechariah. I want to make sure we leave enough time to speak of where we see Christ and his church in this, and then we'll end with some application. And so going and looking at, I've got a number of passages in there. I just tried to put a number of them so you can look up later. Um, but there's many places, Zechariah has many famous prophecies of Christ throughout it. Um, and I want to read a couple to you. In verse chapter 6, starting in verse 12, says, Behold, a man whose name is Branch, a man whose name is Branch, for he will branch out from where he is, and he will build the temple of the Lord. Yes, it is he who will build the temple of the Lord, and he who will bear the honor and sit and rule on his throne. Thus, he will be a priest on his throne, and the council of peace will be between the two offices. Okay, speaking of his role, Christ's role as a priest and a king as well. But we're told here, in the midst of the Israelites rebuilding the temple of God, Zechariah prophesies, Behold, a man whose name is Branch will build the temple. This temple is temporary. Christ will come and build the temple. And so this is looking forward to Christ. This is looking forward to what God will do, how God will send Jesus, and he will be the temple. He will be where we worship. Another prophecy in chapter 9 speaks of Jesus being the humble prince. It says, Rejoice greatly, O daughter of Zion. Shout in triumph, O daughter of Jerusalem. Behold, your king is coming to you. He is just and endowed with salvation, humble and mounted on a donkey, even on a colt, the foal of a donkey. Again, we know that story, the triumphal entry, and this was something the Jewish people knew. And when the Christians said, oh, this is Christ, 
the Jews said, well, no. And so they stopped holding this up as a messianic prophecy, but so clearly. Pierced one, I will pour out, this is in chapter 12, verse 10, I will pour out on the house of David and on the inhabitants of Jerusalem the spirit of grace and of supplication so that they will look on me whom they have pierced and they will mourn for him as one mourns for an only son and they will weep bitterly over him like the bitter weeping over a firstborn. Okay, I will pour out in the house of David so they will look on him whom they pierced. They pierced Jesus. This is speaking to Christ. They pierced him. In chapter 11, verse 12, it says, I said to them, Zechariah says, I said to them, if it is good in your sight, give me my wages. But if not, never mind. So they weighed out 30 shekels of silver as my wages. Right? Where do we have 30 shekels of silver in Scripture? And then in chapter 13, and there's others throughout, I wanted to just highlight these, speaks of a stricken shepherd. Awake, O sword, against my shepherd and against the man, my associate, declares the Lord of hosts. Strike the shepherd that the sheep may be scattered, and I will turn my hand against the little ones. This is actually a passage, if you remember, that Christ quotes to the disciples in the Garden of Gethsemane as he's... Uh, praying and preparing for his crucifixion. And so we see this all throughout Zechariah. It's filled with prophecies speaking to Christ and his work. And I want to turn now with a final 10 minutes or so we have and speak to application. Uh, there's a lot <clears throat> that we could say. I think one of the, the things that highlight, that jumps out in the book of Zechariah is God's love and his care for people. I have that in your application part at the bottom there. In verse 14 of Zechariah, chapter 1, we see God's love. It says, I am as zealous for Jerusalem and Zion with great zeal. I am zealous for Jerusalem and for Zion with great zeal. And you remember the context of this. The people have disobeyed. They're not rebuilding the temple. They're returning from Babylon where they are there in the first place because they repeatedly rejected God. And yet we have God with this beautiful statement of his love and his zealousness for Jerusalem. Even though they sin and they spurn his name. God's love. It says in chapter 2 of verse 8, another prophecy from Zechariah, For thus says the Lord of hosts, After glory... He has sent me against the nations which plunder you. For he who touches you touches the apple of his eye. You know, the children of God are the apple of God's eye. What a beautiful promise. What a, a beautiful thing for us to remember as Christians is God's love. God's love for us. It's something that maybe you don't dwell on often or, or daily. And it may be something that Really, there's, you know, it's, I think of that song, if you know, we with ink the ocean fill, the sky were made of parchment, every stalk on earth a quill, and every man a scribe by trade. I mean, every time we sing that song, don't you just get goosebumps thinking about, you know, you look up at the sky, and you think, yeah, that's overwhelming to think about. And not even that could contain the love of God. And it's true, apple of his eye. 
God cares for the people of Jerusalem. God cares for the Israelites, brings them back. Even when he brings them back and they, they still don't turn to worship him, God says, I love you. It's a message we can't be callous to hearing, that we can't hear enough. God loves you. God wants what's best for you. He's for you. Like he's for the people of Israel, this nation, he's for you. And so, of course, <clears throat> what do we think of in Scripture? Well, one of the things I think of is he who <laughs> has been forgiven much loves much. You know, there's an understanding with love <laughs> of a need to then obey and give your life. And so, th this is also a message. And, and really, Zechariah does end with warning and says, if you do return, you'll be blessed. But if you continue, you'll be judged, and you'll be judged like the nations of the earth. And so if we're going to dwell on the great love of God, which it is great, the question has to then be, will you return to God and will you obey Him? God loves so greatly. Will we go to Him as our Father and say, yes, I want this. I want to live in the love of the Father. Right? Our love is made known by our obedience to God and our love for one another. This is the fruit of it. I thought of uh, Ephesians 1, 3 through 6. It says, Blessed be the God of the, and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places in Christ, just as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world, that we would be holy and blameless before him. In love, he predestined us to adoption as sons through Jesus Christ to himself, according to the kind intention of his will, to the praise and the glory of his grace, which he freely bestowed on us in the beloved. You see God's love, and you see our call to live before him. He has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places in Christ. The Israelites were blessed with every spiritual blessing. You and I have been blessed with every spiritual blessing. What a gift. What a gift of God's love. Just as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world. Wow. <laughs> Why did he choose you? Why did he choose me? Wow. Love. Isn't it? Love. He chose us. He loves us because he chose us. That Okay, this turns important, that we would be holy and blameless before him. God doesn't choose us in love so that we continue on in our filth. He chooses us in love before the foundation of the world, displays this love to us so that we would be holy and blameless. That's a statement of who we are. It's also a promise of the work God does in us, makes us holy. In love, he predestined us to adoption as sons through Jesus Christ to himself, according to the kind intention of his will, to the praise and the glory of his grace, which he freely bestowed on us. God's love. This is the emphasis of Zechariah and the, the way that God brings the people back to him. And then the final statement of, okay, I love you. Will you obey me? Will you follow me? Will you be holy 
and blameless and walk before the Lord. That's the message of Zechariah. I hope you're all still with me. I'm going to go ahead and pray, and I'll invite the elders up, and we're going to begin our, our portion of a congregational meeting. Let's pray. Thank you for listening to Truth and Life. If you enjoyed the series, please subscribe. And remember, from Genesis to Revelation, every book is truth to live by.